Father, again, we return to you and open this word and conclude this passage and uh, try and understand by faith exactly what it looks like to live this way. And so as we go from here and we have mornings of um, time in your word, we go to a midweek Bible study or we come back for Sunday school, I just pray that that word that you teach us would be um, hidden away in our heart like a treasure and that it would illumine every step that we take, not by our understanding, but by yours. And so embolden our faith by this truth to live in this land in this way. And may you be glorified through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're focusing in on our last verses in this passage, verses 31 through 34 today. And we are capping this off, especially with verse 33. And we are trying to understand just what it means to live under the privileged call and command of God to not worry. To not be anxious about daily needs and daily life, but to live in a way where our first focus or the first thing that we seek or the first thing that we reach after or the first thing that we plan for that day is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so by the time we get to verse 33, we don't want to uh, leave those phrases kind of vague and open-ended. We want to really understand that if we are told by Jesus Himself to seek first, first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what is that and what does that even look like? Because it's nice to say, right? It's nice to say that we keep God first. It's, it's nice to say that, you know, we don't begin our day without Jesus and some coffee. It's, it's, it's a nice sentiment. But 
That's not what Jesus is saying this for. He's saying this so we actually do it. He's saying this so the world might take notice that the visibility of the gospel being lived out in our lives is such that we are living as citizens of another kingdom while here in this world. And it's going to speak to a freedom and a joy and a peace that Christians have that's only found in Christ that the world is desperately yearning for, whether they know it or not. Even people that have worked for world domination are trying to find a place where at least they can rule and have things their way so all will go well with them. But of course, sin is quite the awful master of our lives and leads only to what? Death and destruction. Only God, as our rightful master and Lord and King, leads to life. And He gives it by a free gift. You, you, you don't, you don't uh, conquer and, and tackle and dominate to obtain this. God gives it in the riches of His mercy and grace. Freely to live according to the rules and the ways of His kingdom, even while we're living underneath earthly ones. So, I hope that verse 33 has always been striking to you as it has been to me. And we're trying to get to a point where verse 33 is freeing. Because Christ came to set us free, right? Because of those awful masters, sin and death. And in order to live free, in fact, does not mean to have this sort of earthly independence where no one is your master. To live free is to see God as your king, and live in fearful, reverent, obedient to that king that loves his subjects. To where you aren't bent out of shape by the things people will do in this earthly kingdom to you. You know how to encounter those things according to uh, the ways of the kingdom that you live in. You're, you're, you're not so upset by seeing all the destruction and the chaos. Certainly they do bring you grief. And they're signs of what sin has done in this world. And they are heartbreaking. But they aren't everything. They don't cause us to lose hope. They don't cause us to lose heart. They don't cause us to lose confidence. They don't cause us to lose peace. And according to David in the Psalms, they probably shouldn't even cause you to lose sleep. And so we're free to go about our Father's business, doing what we see Him do, uh, saying what we hear Him say, according to His Word, and letting Him 
orchestrate and take care of and provide in only the way that He can. Which that kind of faithful daily dependence on God to meet our needs is living in a visible faith that should communicate the gospel, the good news. Also understand the scriptures that when Jesus speaks or when in Acts you hear any of the apostles speak of the kingdom of God, it's usually accompanied or, or uh, um, introduced with also the phrase, the good news of the kingdom of God. And we'll get to that in a minute. But we're trying to understand what it means to use the examples of nature that point us to faithful dependence on God as our Father, those created in His image, unlike the birds of the air, the beast of the field, unlike the flowers of the field, we are created in His image. Therefore, there is a definite confidence we should have in how He cares for us, and we have good works laid out by Him for us to do, to focus on, to be ambassadors for Christ here, while we're here, he will make sure that we have what we need to do that. Therefore, do not be anxious. And then he just repeats all those things that we read in verse 25. About what you're going to eat, about what you'll drink, about what you're wear. And verse 30, 32 is telling before he has used examples in the, the natural world of the animal kingdom to speak about why we aren't to be anxious. And now he is using Gentiles. Now, is he speaking about a specific ethnic group of people? The answer is yes and no. He is pointing out a specific group of people that were known as being different from Israel by the fact that they did not trust in the God of Israel. But also, this is an all-encompassing term for those who do not trust in Yahweh. We don't trust in God. So, the example of those who are anxious for these things, the ones we shouldn't be like, are those who don't trust in God. We have a Heavenly Father. We already began this chapter in the Lord's Prayer by speaking to our Father in Heaven as Jesus instructs us. So that has to mean something. If Jesus is telling first century Jews for the first time to look each individually to God as Heavenly Father, then that means something. Or should communicate something as we look to Him in that way. And so you can hearken back to the Israelites in the wilderness those 40 years in, in Deuteronomy Moses is called to speak for God and to remind them that God let them be hungry. Let them wander through the wilderness so that they would learn to depend on God, that He fed them with manna from heaven that they couldn't carry over to the next day, so that they learned that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, 
the concern that Jesus says that we should have for our day is not what kind of food will be there, is not what clothes are hanging in the closet. It's not even if we're going to make it through the end of the day with our life intact. The first concern of each day is the kingdom. The kingdom is eternal. The kingdom continues. The kingdom will not pass away. In fact, we're praying in verse 10 of chapter 6 that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom does not pass away. It's coming. And with Jesus, it has arrived and become manifest in the way that He lives and breathes and talks and loves and gives and even judges. And some would say He inaugurates the kingdom of God is coming at the Lord's Supper. It's in His blood and His body given for us. But Gentiles, they seek temporary earthly things. They don't live for a kingdom that's yet to come. And those of faith, especially as you get to Hebrews chapter 11, are told to live as those who are looking forward to a better kingdom, who place the priority in, pers uh, priority, uh, in perspective when they think about this world and the one to come. That we are those who are geared towards an eternal type of pleasure, an eternal type of joy, an eternal type of peace. That it's not enough for us Christians to be able to buy those things temporarily. We are wanting something that lasts. It's kind of why I have a problem like buying cheap furniture. I'm not a carpenter, but I'd rather make it out of real wood, right? Because the other stuff doesn't last. I want things that last. And the closer you get to the kingdom just in faith, the more you realize that these temporary pleasures of life just aren't satisfying. We can receive all good gifts as from above and we can give glory to God for all of them and we can enjoy great things together, but they're temporary. You're, you're, you're going to have to keep getting more and more and more. And you'll never be satisfied. But, but what did we just sing from Psalm 90? We're asking the Lord to satisfy us with His good in the morning. We're, we're asking for something that the world can't have. But in the Lord, you can have it. You can actually find satisfaction for the day in Him. And there would be, as a result, your peace. Because you live as one who's satisfied. You don't need anything more or anything else. Or anything less. So when Paul speaks about the secret of contentment, that's what it is. Paul, Paul is focused just like Jesus on why he is here for the kingdom. 
So Paul has times when he has plenty, and Paul has times when he has little. And certainly Paul has times when he's about to die, to the point, right, where he despairs of life itself on occasion. And yet, Paul finds himself in these situations with complete peace, even joy, even at times when he can uh, have his freedom and when he can escape and and go find peace, he knows that that's not where it's going to be. So with the Philippian jailer, he remains. Because he's here for the kingdom. And man cannot take from him what the Lord has given him. So he's, I wouldn't say not concerned about that, but as much as a man cannot be concerned about life, Paul is that man. And certainly, Jesus, during his time here on earth, was that man. Because they know what they're doing here. It's about the kingdom. And what is the kingdom? Well, in Luke 17, 20-21, Jesus puts it this way, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the way that we like to describe the kingdom is, is the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of His people. The rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of His people. While they're here, and certainly for all eternity. And so His people should be characterized by what it means to be a citizen of His kingdom. And you'll see those things in the fruit of the Spirit. And so the kingdom of God coming on earth is the visibility or the presence of those things according to the power of His Spirit which lives in the hearts and lives of His people to manifest the rule and reign of God. So who's our master? God. It's not the president. It's not a king. We're told to obey them as far as they are instruments of God for righteousness, but God is king. I think that subconsciously the evil things people do in this world to Christians is led by the fact that men don't like to acknowledge God as king, certainly as sovereign king. And certainly Satan hates that, hates that God rules and reigns sovereignly, absolutely over all things at all times, and even to the point where Satan is an instrument of God's sovereign righteousness. That frustrates evil to the point that it lashes out, that it pushes back. And yet we're told, we don't even have to worry about that. We're not worried what man can do to us. No. We know who God is. 
We know what he's like through his word. We even experience his love and his grace through his people. And so we learn and grow in our understanding of what the kingdom of God is and how to live in it, especially here. Now, when we all get to heaven and we come face to face with that Savior and in that moment are transformed into an eternal glorious state, we will have all faculties and all wisdom and all knowledge and all purity of heart to live perfectly in the kingdom of God. And so right now is the true test of what our heart is being shaped for. If our heart is being shaped for the kingdom of God and by the kingdom of God, then there is a daily battle that goes on because our flesh doesn't want to seek first the kingdom of God. Our flesh wants to drag itself out of bed or lay there and flick through the phone or get that cup of coffee first or whatever it is. It, 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 we often don't put our feet on the floor with a mindset of, I need God. I want God. I want to go through this day in a way that would glorify Him. I want Him to uh, light my paths with His Word. I want Him to correct my heart and my tongue wherever they slip up. But the more you grow in your faith and you're yearning for the, the, the fullness of the kingdom of God, especially the kingdom of God to fully come and, and be realized here, the more you do put your feet on the floor with those things in mind. So don't act like, oh, you know, we're sinners here and we're just going to not be those who are uh, that holy kingdom-minded ever. We're just going to struggle. Well, yeah, you're going to struggle, but you're going to grow. That is the will of God, your sanctification, your being made in likeness of Christ, your growing in holiness is His will. What's God's will for your life? Your sanctification, your holiness, your kingdom-mindedness. He will display His righteousness, His goodness, His love, His grace, His mercy, all those attributes that He communicates with us he will share those through his people. The, the, this is the means by which he has chosen to communicate the gospel to the world until the end of time, until the great day of the Lord. This is the way. You are the way. And it's not like you and I are out here doing this by ourselves. It is that. What did he promise? He promised to never leave or forsake. He promised to send the helper. He promised that we would do great things. And he promised that he would go and prepare a place for us. Seeking first means to literally look 
first. To set your focus, your eyes, your thoughts, all those things that give direction to you, they have to be first oriented towards the things of God. He wants His people to be righteous. So are we looking for that? Are we meditating, as Philippians 4 says, on those things that are pure and holy and blameless? Gosh, you know, we, sometimes I think we have it much worse than the persecuted Christians of uh, the first three centuries, uh, which may be a silly statement, but also the amount of distraction, the amount of, of pull uh, for your attention, for your devotion, the, the, uh, the onslaught of good things that you are confronted with that would uh, call you to seek for something other than the kingdom of God and His righteousness is rampant. It is difficult. It is an unending push against you. And yet, you are still called in 2023 to be those that seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So how do we do that? Well, the first examples of this passage were, right, open the book of nature. Stop trying to keep up with the rest of the world and look at what God has created. And look at how He sustains that creation. Examine it. Observe it. Become a scientist, an amateur one. And look at these things. And you see the fingerprint of God in their makeup, and you see His presence in how they continue to survive. And then once you've done that, then you're kind of growing to be obsessed with how awesome it is to see the supernatural in the natural. Because there's something that supersedes the natural that makes it natural. And that's God. And then once you see that, maybe you'll be drawn to say, man, I want to know this God more. And so how do you do that? Well, he's told us, all that we need to know about him here. And whenever I do this, people kind of be like, eh, well, you know, studying the Bible. That's hard. Well, yeah. But are you those that are seeking? Do you want to know? If you want to know, this isn't so intimidating. Because he'll open it up to you. He'll speak to you. He'll give you what you're after. Understand that about God, too. He does give people what they want. And according to Romans 1, that could be a very bad thing. But, according to what He's promised His children, that means everything that He's promised to give you what you seek. So, the promise is 
especially those of you that, that have a hard time studying, I'm with you, and I have to do it every week in an intense way. And he'll, he'll open it for you. You're a slow reader? Good. That means that you have been given the key to meditate on the Scriptures word by word. You're a fast reader? Good. You can see the whole of these letters and, and Gospels in their complete context in such a beautiful way that you can tie the whole Bible together. And guess what? Then he's put those two types of people together to encourage one another with these words. And by the way, as we're talking about this, we're not even mentioning that your body's going to require food and water today. We're not even talking about the fact that thankfully you all have clothes on. God did that. He made sure you had that. Not only that, but let's even go above and beyond the needs that we experience being fulfilled. It's warm in here, isn't it? Hope it's not too warm for you, but it's warm. It's cold out there. Uh, there's lights on. I can see what I'm reading. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so we are experiencing his great care, his great desire, his great help, his great encouragement. Every moment you spend meditating on the presence of God in your life is not a wasted moment. It's a moment where you have just seen your faith strengthened, and you're going to need it, right? Because things are going to happen, because trouble's going to come, and because of Romans 8, we're told that, that uh, peril and sword and nakedness might occur. But because your faith has been strengthened by the fact that you have seen God at work, you have seen Him provide, therefore you know His promises are sure and good, then you know that through all those things you won't be separated from the love of Christ, and that through the love of Christ you'll become more than conquerors through Him who loves you, and that because you're more than a conqueror, you're going to inherit what Jesus inherits in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, the kingdom of God is yours. If you're like me, you say, uh, well, <laughs> I don't deserve the kingdom of God. Okay, amen. But he's giving it to you. Most of you in this room have experienced receiving things you don't deserve, right? Well, multiply that by infinity and you'll understand the gospel. <laughs> you have been given eternal righteousness in His presence, free from disease, free from sin, free from pain, free from sadness. And He just gave it to you. Does that make you want to learn a little bit more about Him? Then you'll seek. Then you'll look. Then you'll walk in these ways. Then you'll easily put off sin and you'll put on Christ. He's the only thing that satisfies. He's the only thing worth it. Therefore, 
Don't be anxious about tomorrow. We haven't even got there yet. Tomorrow's going to be anxious for itself. And the ESV says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I like uh, the New American Standard, and, and I think there's a couple others that say it this way. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough, enough trouble of its own. So why do you want to go ahead and, and go deal with that? You've got all you have been meant to deal with today. You have all the trouble that you need to be concerned about today. Which I think means that you have your call or you have your good work laid out for the day. You know that there is things that you cannot plan for that can happen in the day. You, you know that you don't know what's coming that day. But you do know that God will provide. You do know that you are to go after. You are to first orient yourself towards the kingdom and His righteousness. You do know those things. So that's all you've been called to do. And He'll be with you in that. And He'll provide around that. James is helpful in orienting our minds to how we think about today. James 4, 13 through 15, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So that's today, and that's tomorrow. If tomorrow comes, then perhaps this and that, if the Lord wills. If not, today, I'm seeking first the kingdom. That's what today's for. Tomorrow will happen according to His will. Understand this, because to have confidence in God through Jesus Christ, you have to understand how much He loves you. You have to be able to trust a Father who cares for you in ways that you've never been cared for. So Psalm 139 <clears throat> has played over and over again <clears throat> in my mind this past month. Let me read it to you. Psalm 139, 13 <clears throat> and following. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together In my mother's womb, 
I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now listen to verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The promise of God is to care for his children. Your call is to live for him. Because he died to live with you. So as you wake up tomorrow morning, remember verse 33. That's all that's on your plate. That's all we need to worry about. Pray to your Father who's in heaven and then we'll stand and sing.